Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you for taking the time to listen. So in this episode, I'm getting back together with my friend George A. Wood, who is the author of the book The Uncovery, which has been the subject of uh, a good number of episodes of the podcast at this point. I'm so grateful to George and to his co-author, Britt Eaton, for the work that they've done, the work that they do. Now, two separate labors of love on these books, The Uncovery, as well as the newly released The Uncovery devotional, both of which are available on Amazon, designed to help people in the journey of recovery to uh, live a promised land life, the kind of life that Jesus died to secure for each and every one of us, the kind of life that Jesus died so that we could live and live fully and live abundantly. And there may be people listening to this podcast and you've gone through some kind of trauma in your life or you've battled through an addiction or you've battled through some kind of of issue or challenge in your life and maybe you're still very much in the throes of that battle wherever you may find yourself um, i just want to say that i i fully believe that these two books are are for everybody they're for anybody and they they'll encourage you i believe with all my heart that they're going to encourage you and they're going to help you on that road uh, that you're walking. One of the things that George talks about that we talked a little bit about in this episode even is the fact that recovery is for everybody. I think traditionally we kind of look at recovery as something that is, you know, something that people that are addicted to a drug or alcohol or something like that, that it's for them. But really we've all got stuff. We've all got issues in our lives. We've all got wrong ways of thinking. We've all got bad habits. Um, maybe sin struggles, different things that are uh, addictive in nature. You know, whether you're addicted to video games or you're addicted or addicted to a substance, the point is that there's something going on there that God wants to deal with. He wants to He wants you to walk through that so that you can ultimately experience the fullness of the freedom that He has for you. So I appreciate George A. Wood, the work that he does, not just in the writing of the books, but in all the work that he does, the talks that he gives, the way that he lives his life, the way that he counsels people and pastors people and walks with people through the recovery journey, something he's been doing for years, and he's helped so many people to uh, experience a promised land life. And so I appreciate George so very much. This conversation, talk about a few different things, talk about uh, some church planting type stuff and micro church stuff, and it's and it's and it's great. We also get into probably the the majority of the conversation is related to to drugs, to addiction to this conversation. We're having a conversation in this episode about the legalization and decriminalization of drugs, um, whether or not drugs should be available for medicinal purposes, whether or not you know people should be punished for possessing drugs, and really just the overall crisis, the drug crisis. And I, I do, I appreciate George and just the, the information that he shares, the way that he's very just brave in this conversation, which is a tricky conversation, I think, for, for Christians to have sometimes, particularly pastors and those in ministry. It can be a little bit of a, of a, of a maybe scary conversation to have. And so um, I, uh, I, I hope that you guys get some value out of this. I'm going to be honest with you. There's aspects of this where I'm still formulating my own personal thoughts and my own kind of viewpoint on this. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to George about this particular uh, topic today. 
And so I hope you guys enjoy it. If you have your own thoughts on the matter, I'd love to hear from you. So reach out on social media or something like that. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment or a review on whichever platform you're checking this out. I appreciate you guys in advance. And now please join me in uh, welcoming back to the podcast again, my friend, George A. Wood. Very, very early stages, like house awesome. house church plant type. I'm type planning stuff. a house church next month, actually. I saw your post about that, man. So yeah. did you you yeah. you decided to 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 go ahead and and do it for sure? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely doing it. I've done it multiple times over the years, and yeah, and part of uh, you know sober truth, um, it's just been missing, and and I I just haven't been in the right place. But I'm gonna go ahead and plan a house church um, next. January in January. Um, yeah. And the pieces are already coming together. Uh, a friend of mine is a pastor of a church I preached at last year. And, and so the people seen me and, and have started following me. And when they heard that, um, one of them is actually, you know, the worship leader and he's been looking for a trauma informed faith-based community. So he's going to plan it with me. And, um, you know, so yeah, you know, we, my wife and I actually, have had a couple house churches over the years and they just mm. grew to get, they just got too big, but <laughs> no, for real, you know, they were, yeah. they got, they got big. Um, and, and plus I live in the inner city and I live in a very high crime, high poverty area. So you end up with a lot mm. of the people local, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you immediately right off the deep end, you have a lot of, uh, you got a lot of, issues right it's like full-fledged mm -hmm. like i know some churches that they don't even have the type of issues that you got out of your house church like real quick you got people that are going through psychological breakdowns and there's my cat <laughs> the cat the cat wants to groove out man he stepped on Just one let of it happen <laughs> anyways i was afraid of that anyways but you immediately you know you got all these you know you're dealing with issues and um stuff from from people that are high need high you know really high need people. Um, mm -hmm. I really was kind of like, okay, what do I want to do? But this time I'm like, I'm like, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. I want to do this. I got, you know, the capacity to do it. Um, and if it grows, then it grows. If it gets big, then maybe I plan in church. I don't know. We'll see. So I'm open to it. Yeah. So like in the past, when you'd started a home church, a house church and it grew <laughs> too big, did you, what did you, did you pass it off to somebody else who kept it going or, or what yeah, kind of happened? I, you know, in the past, I, I, you know, could write it. I'm sure you, it's the same with you, but I could write a book on all the mistakes I've made. Right. Mm, um, and there's an old philosophy in business that is um, if you don't under, you know, if you don't learn how to manage, then you'll manage a business down right to, to a place that you can handle it. I um, lived it, man. Yeah. Many times. So, for sure. So, you know, you, you exhaust yourself trying to do something you don't have the capacity to do and eventually things fall apart. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, um, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, literally we got to the point, bro, where we were at, cause we do, it's not just a Bible study. We believe in doing community. So it's like dinner, time of fellowship, yeah. the word, you know, um, worship breakdown, you know, and so we were getting up to 30, 40 people um, mm -hmm. in our house. And, and, you know, then we had a 
a lot of them started having kids. So you had to have like a section for kids. I mean, we had a freaking little mega yeah, church going out of our house. And so, <laughs> I mean, and we were doing it Sunday nights. We were coming home right after church, at, you know, two o'clock on Sunday and we'd begin cooking and setting up. By the time you're breaking down, it's 11 o'clock on Sunday night, right? Mm. Is you know, people are sticking around and it just, it was, we did it for years. Um, yeah. It was just, it was just, it was just a lot and uh, wasn't tremendously good for our marriage either. Um, mm. So, um, yeah. But this time though, you know, my wife has her own ministry. And so she's part of this, but she's got a woman and children's ministry that is really big and it works with women and children coming out of, of homelessness. Um, and so mm. she, that's what she does. And so she's, I mean, got that already so this is more like i have it now that i've stepped away from the timothy initiative i can do this and whatever happens happens and i'm surrounded and i got some people that are, are going to do it with me that can really help the whole process so yeah i think it it could be it could be you know something that ends up being something we'll see i'm open to it when i was in atlanta last month um I seen a few different recovery churches and I really liked it, liked the idea. I liked the way they were pulling it mm -hmm. off where um, they weren't just people in recovery, but it was a recovery church, recovery safe communities. And um, we don't have that here. And I don't know if you, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of times people in yeah. recovery don't, you know, they may go to a church, but they don't, they feel like the oddball out. Right. So these were, recovery churches where you could go there and be a heroin addict and feel at home. And so I looked at that and I was like, okay, I could consider pastoring something like that. Um, especially since I'm already doing the work anyways, working with people. Mm. So it would just be adding like a, you know, a church service and stuff. And I have connections with people with buildings and stuff like that. I could really probably yeah. put together a church inside two weeks if I needed to. Um, and so for me, like last week, it really came out of, um, I had a donor that, you know, unfortunately backed out of donating. He's like a $10,000 a year donor. And um, he backed out and I was like, man, I, I need to figure out something concrete. And I just kind of one thing led to another. I was just in prayer with the Lord and I felt like him say it was time to do this. And so I'm going to do it. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. awesome, man. So are, are you, I'm just curious, are you connected in this, in this new project that you're working on? Are you connected with like the, the micro church movement there in Tampa or is this outside? You know of that? that. Yeah. I, you know, I, you realize I was part of the founders, right? Yeah. And I know that the Timothy initiative was like, I mean, a, yeah. a, a part of that or is a part of that. And I mean, I've had Lucas and Tommy on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll be, and, yeah, it'll and, be uh, part of that again. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you know them. I totally forgot all about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, actually, awesome. ironically, my, one of the guys who lives in my little intentional community here, um, mm -hmm. his wife got ordained this past weekend through the underground. Um, oh, that's so cool. And so I went to the service, um, you know, to support her and everything like that. Cause we don't go there on Sundays anymore, but, um, 
and so I was with Lucas and and Brian and everybody. Um, so yeah, it'll it'll be connected to them. It is very cool to have that. Like what you're saying is a, a recovery church having that that missional focus, which mm -hmm. is which is very common, I think, in a lot of the micro uh, church plants. It's like you know we're we're getting a, a group of people together that you know it may it may start off as as a small thing. A lot of times it'll be in a home or at a bus right, stop or like right. wherever it is it might be out in the park or whatever it is but like a lot of times you're bringing people together that have a particular you know interest or something like that of something that mm -hmm. they may want to pursue or that they're going after together as a as a group of people with a with a mission focus and so i think that that's um i think that's awesome man i'm i'm, I'm stoked yeah. that you're doing that yeah i'm uh i'm gonna have to put my cat away she's going she's gonna, she's gonna be not <laughs> go off. for it man <laughs> we'll cut we'll cut it out and we're back with George A. Wood, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so we we did something. Uh, we did some some kind of crazy stuff. Like when we were in Alabama, and uh, we were starting up our ministry in like the Latin American community. Mm -hmm. um, we were going into neighborhoods, and we started doing this thing where we we did it. We did a couple of them, a uh, couple different where we actually used other people's uh, houses. So like we'd go into a neighborhood. We went to this one one neighborhood that was like a trailer park and mm -hmm. we went in there and uh, just like started walking around and knocking on doors and meeting people, finding out like, you know, just who people are, where they're from, ultimately finding out, you know, like, do you guys go to church? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> basically we would um, like, I don't know, there were a couple of times where we just made a, a strong connection with somebody and they were willing to open up their home like in yeah. that neighborhood which made it awesome for just like inviting people from that neighborhood around. And um, we had one of them that got up to, I mean, we were having like 30 people there, like on their deck, they had a, they had a deck. And so we were outside, you know, and it's like, you know, you get there, I'd get out there with a guitar. We'd sing a couple songs, be, you know, people around or kind of hearing stuff. We would uh, sometimes there'd be food. Sometimes there'd be something like that. just to, you know, people interested come and they're, they're attracted, but, but we did it. Um, couple different, couple different times where we were in somebody else's neighborhood and we set something up in their house. And then we did one at our house that was really centered around, like I built a couple of, and I don't build stuff, but I heard the Lord very clear me, tell me to build <laughs> and, and like, he didn't tell me to buy them. He told me to build soccer goals two two soccer goals. So I built these, um, they were six feet high by 12 feet long, so not a regulation size, but we had a pretty pretty big patch of land out there where I used to live in, in Alabama before we moved to Texas, and we set up a pretty decent size, more than like a half of a soccer field, but less than a full soccer field, and we, we set up a soccer field, and on Sunday afternoons, um, we would get all these mostly guys, but uh, some, you know, their, their wives would come and, and stuff like that too. We get all these uh, guys out there and we would play soccer for like an hour and then we would eat and have Bible study. And, you know, yeah. when you when you kind of build something around a common common interest, mm -hmm. I guess, is what yeah. I'm getting at. It, it can it can work really well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously being, um, you know, part of the underground for as long as I was and um, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And there's a few things that, you know, are key to, to something being successful and centrally located around the people you're trying to reach. Um, and then, a, you know, a common interest And one of what we would call it was, 
you have to have three things in order for a church to be a church. Um, and for us, it was always community worship and mission. But so it's like you have to have those three things. And so in you, in you, you know, obviously that there's lots of different variations of that. But for us, we we boiled it down to those three things. And so what is the community aspect? And for, like, for that, it would be the soccer. It's like we come together, we're playing soccer, we're connecting with each other, we're doing life with each other. So you have to have that environment that uh, makes community possible. Um, you know, the worship is, you know, we're worshiping God and the mission being, why are we even doing this? Why is this yeah. particular group of people doing this? Um, and so you see churches and, and you that are, and, you know, I think a lot of people want to plan a church uh, and they go into it with the mindset of, I, I have a seminary degree or I know scripture and I want to, I want to tell people about Jesus. Okay. Those are all good things, but to be a successful church, you have to be more. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. They just think like, mm -hmm. I can preach a sermon. I got a building. I can raise money to pay for that building. That's a church. Now just bring people. And it's like, no, it may not work that way. You may, you may get people in there and you may even get them to keep coming back. And your, and your messages may be, maybe you're a great speaker. And so they keep coming back. But do you mm. really have church or do you just have people that come and watch you preach on Sunday? And so, mm. you know, church has got question. to be, you know, it's got to be more, right? It's got to be, there's got yeah. to be, I'm not saying good preaching isn't important. I, I like to fancy myself as a little bit of a snob when it comes to listening to public speakers, but, but that's not it. It's like the person has to have a life and then there has to be a way that that life is expressed amongst the community so that is we're all together for a reason, yeah. right? And, yeah. You know, that's just my thoughts. That's just what I've, what I've seen work, what I've seen not work, what I've, you know, just in conversations of why people walk away from church, why people are unhappy with churches. And it's usually they don't have one of those things, right? They mm. don't feel connected. Mm. They don't have a reason for going every Sunday. Um, yeah. And they don't really feel like it brings them closer to God. And so yeah. eventually just showing up on a Sunday is like, why are we doing this again? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and sometimes like even the, the motivation is a little bit weird for why people, I, I remember I, I had a, <laughs> I had a friend on the podcast. The, it was, this was a long time ago. Uh, he was on the podcast and we were, I was just talking, we were just talking, we were just catching up honestly. And he was, he was talking about how his whole goal, he, I guess he had been at a church for a while. And then him and his wife were talking about wanting to get back into church. They had a little, they had a daughter at that point, And they were like, it'd be really good for us to like get her in, um, mm -hmm. you know, children's church, that sort of thing. So she can have some Bible foundations. So that was really kind of like the, the motivation that led them to start talking. But his whole motivation for like finding a church was, I want to find a big church where we can go and just be anonymous and yeah. not have to honestly it was like not have to build connection with people like i want to be able to go mm -hmm. slip in you know and slip out and yeah. just kind yeah. of <laughs> like check in that box and i think a lot of people and i was like well thank you thank you bro like for just sharing that and being honest about how, yeah. how you yeah. felt and we kind of dug into a little bit of the and he's like and i knew <laughs> i knew that it was like like it wasn't good like it wasn't the 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 best motivation to have and i knew that it was shallow He's like, but just being honest, like that's that's where I was. And it was funny yeah. because, I mean, God totally turned it around. He ended up in a small church and he ended up leading worship in that church and it ended up getting <laughs> more than he ever bargained for. 
So all that is totally cool. But I do think there's a lot of people in that in that mindset today where it's like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I want the the clean version of of, of church where I can yeah. go in, I can get my word. It takes me 90 minutes or whatever it takes. And then like, that's my thing for the week. I, ch I check the box and I'm not like disparaging anybody that may be, you know, in that mindset or, or whatever, and certainly not disparaging any particular church or ministry yeah, or size yeah. of church or anything like that. There's amazing churches of all sizes, but it's just the, I think a lot of people are in that place today mm -hmm. and it's not really, as you're saying, it's not really fulfilling that 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 assignment that we have of like actually being the church like we're yeah. learning we're doing church like we're doing church stuff or, or church activities but we're not necessarily i think being the church or teaching right. people how to be the church and what that's really all about in a lot of these situations Absolutely. yeah yeah and i think you know there's people that go through seasons for different reasons and and i and i get that but um being the church is you know that's totally different. Right. You know, we were looking in mm -hmm. Philippians this morning and this group I lead of, of men and, uh, things like Paul's talking about how he's, you know, when I'm away from you, I pray for you and I'm, I'm, you know, thankful for you. And I'm like, mm. that's this bond, right. That, that we're supposed to have. So you either, you know, a relationship with God, you're either, it's either just about yourself or it's really about the kingdom. And so sometimes we vacillate between the two. So it's like, oh God, I need this, or oh God, I want to be better at this, or God, and whatever. But the relationship we're supposed to have is this communitas, this koinonia of of community, mm -hmm. where like when I'm away from you, I'm thanking God for you and I'm praying for you. That you know that deeper connection of growth, where you know, let's face it, you know, that's not necessarily what we see in a lot of a lot of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, man. For yeah. sure. Well, bro, last time you were on the podcast, um, you were with your co-author, uh, Britt Eaton, and we had an awesome conversation around your uh, your new book, which is The Uncovery Devotional, um, which came out, I think, at the end of October. Right. Mm -hmm. So you were on you guys were on at the beginning of October. So the last time I talked to you was like a few weeks before the, the book was released. So just update man like how what's what's been going on since then yeah since the yeah um you know the the first you know six weeks um have been you know a whirlwind in a lot of ways i think you know it just by the way things played out when the book came out i had just managed to land a bunch of speaking gigs which um i wish was my life but it's not typically my life um i want to get mm. there um, I'm hoping to be traveling and speaking. Um, that's really, you know, my, one of my major, you know, goals really is to be going around and talking, yeah. but I actually spoke 15 times inside two weeks, um, mm. or 21 wow. days, 21 days, 15 speaking engagements, um, all centered around the book in a recovery. And, you know, I was able to travel to Minnesota, Nashville, Atlanta, and then all around Tampa and Brandon. Um, so it was a beautiful thing. And I felt like, um, it was a, a great way to kick off the book and, um, you know, but since then now we're getting into the holidays. Um, obviously things are kind of winding down with the year, but the response mm -hmm. from the people that have picked up the book has been, you know, phenomenal. And, um, I'm really excited that, um, it's finally out there into the world and, you know, the way that I think, 
the response I'm getting from people is that they're really, you know, digging into transforming their lives, which is all I want to see, man. I just want to see people walk out the wholeness that, that they're, you know, capable mm. of walking out. And so it's been good. Um, looking forward to, you know, 2024 and, and seeing what the Lord does, man. That's awesome, bro. Yeah. And it's just for anybody that doesn't know. So the Uncovery devotional, it's a 365 day <laughs> devotional journey. So you've got a uh, and, and it's awesome that we're that we're coming up. I mean, of course, you can start this at any time, but it's awesome that we're coming up to a new year where people can can grab it, you know, during during the holidays and they can start off right on, you know, January 1st or whatever. And I was I, I I knew about the book from our conversation, but when I when I started to to go through it, I was um, I was really like pleasantly surprised with the the approach that you guys took to writing it. So I mean, it is really like bite sized, just doses of truth and insight to you know help help people shift their their thinking on all kinds of stuff from from identity from practical steps to you know walking out the recovery journeys that we're all on and 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 just everything and it's and it's what i love about it is is how how practical it is and it's not preachy like it, <laughs> it's not preachy like basically you you say here's the truth that we want to you know show to you we're going to you know share a verse and whatever we're going to talk there's going to be some some um this is like the truth that we want you to focus on for today now like you meditate on it like you, you take it and you meditate on that, on that thing. And so I really like that because I, I love the, the invitation that's, that's within that, you know, and I was, as I was kind of like reading, you know, starting to read through and like, I mean, I, you know, I was just, I, I wanted to, to read it. So I was <laughs> going through like multiple days, you know, at a time. And so, but as I'm reading through it, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I was kind of relating it to like. Like this is like when you start working out or when you start exercising or when you start eating healthy or when you start developing some kind of a positive habit in your life. It's like you may read day one, like you get to January one and you read day one and you're like, like, oh, it's over. Like I thought it was going to be longer than that. And like you read it in two minutes and then, you know, maybe you take a minute to, you know, you, you do the prayer, you meditate on it a little bit or whatever, but you're like, oh, that's it. Okay. And, and you might not feel like super different after that, but it's like, you're getting these doses of truth if you're if you're using it as a as a tool for your life, you know, right. going through like day day two comes around and day three and four and and by the time you start going through it, you re you'll recognize that like I'm my thinking is shifting, mm -hmm. and it's you know what I'm saying like it's it's when you when you when you fill your 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 mind and your heart with truth like it doesn't take all that much like you don't have to read your bible for six hours a day like right. you can have these these little insights of 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 truth that over time are going to you know drastically cause you know improvements in the way that you think which ultimately the way that we think affects everything about our lives about how we live yeah. about how we respond to trouble about how we you know do all this how we treat other people how we treat ourselves like all the stuff that we do and so anyway, I just, um, yeah, yeah, man, I was really pleasantly surprised yeah. when I started reading it, just the approach that you guys took. Awesome, man. Um, yeah, I think, you know, everybody who's read it so far has been sort of like, oh, I didn't expect it to be like that. 
And so it's like, that's a pretty common response. And so it's like, welcome to the inside of my mind. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, listen, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to both devotionals and then recovery materials, there's a lot of stuff out there already. Um, and I didn't want to just do something that's already out there. Uh, so I wanted to be, you know, do something that was different and, um, really try to cover all of the aspects of all the things I think it takes to change the way we think about recovery. And so mm. it's all in there, man. Everything is, everything I could think of, um, is in there. <laughs> for, now. for now, for now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah for now. <clears throat> That's awesome, yeah. bro. On that, so because one of the things that that we've discussed in the past, and uh, that along with Brit, that and and something that you guys talk about extensively is is really how recovery is for everyone. And I, I'd like for you to just share some some thoughts on that, you know, before we maybe branch off into into something else, but. I'd, I'd really love if you could just kind of share your thoughts on that, because I think when a lot of people think about just the when they hear the word recovery or they hear mm -hmm. somebody say, I'm in recovery, usually that term, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think usually that term is used for people that uh, are, you know, walking through or battling with some kind of an addiction to a substance. Now, I think when a lot of people hear the word recovery, that's kind of what they what they think about. Um, so I'm wondering if you could kind of broaden the scope of, of recovery, um, for, for us and maybe explain just your, some of your thoughts on what that means, like why, why recovery is for everybody. Sure. I, I, you know, when we think of recovery, even as, um, people in addiction recovery, um, mm -hmm. it's traditionally been put in a way that we're trying to recover who we were before our addiction happened. And, and, mm -hmm. a, and a huge part of my life message is that that addiction only happened because of what happened to you. Not because you actually chose to just go become a drug addict or an alcoholic, something right. happened to you. And there was a pain that you were trying to somehow alleviate and, and addiction became a way of doing that. So I wanted to help people understand that recovery has got to be about something so much more. And you start to realize that we all have behaviors and things that we do that we wish we didn't. And it's really no different. Um, some are more harmful than others, but some just have a more harmful consequence that we notice. Others are just as harmful, but you won't know until your kids are in recovery one day because of the way you parented them because you were never wow. around because you were a workaholic and you, or, or you were stressed all the time and your kids never felt loved. And so hmm. we have to recognize that we have behaviors and, and patterns in our lives that need to be healed because they're not walking in accordance with the freedom that Jesus died on the cross for us to have. And when we begin to see that we all have these, then we can acknowledge we're all in recovery because part of the issue for people that are in recovery from addiction or alcoholism is that they feel stigmatized or they don't feel welcome in um, the conversation. They feel dirtier. They feel worse. Mm -hmm. They feel less than. Mm -hmm. But when we, and a lot of that is valid because people actually do look at them as less than, as dirty, 
and as um you know sort of the they're in their own mess because they caused it but when we can see that recovery is really it's about healing ourselves from all of the patterns and all of the behaviors and all of the things that we've all been through that we didn't want to be any that we don't want to be anymore and that way we can all see we're in it together. And when we can acknowledge that, it makes it better for those that are struggling with addiction and mental health issues and alcoholism and things of that nature, because then they don't feel like the odd man out. They can We can all recognize that we're all in this and we all have things we want to recover from because at the heart of it, it's all back to the, you know, the same reason things that happened to us in our childhood caused us to live out patterns and behaviors that are not who we truly are. We're not walking as our authentic mm -hmm. self. And when we recognize that, we can begin to truly heal. Come on, man. Yeah, it's it's so there are so many different things in life that we can be addicted to, but we, of course, like we we stigmatize certain ones, and. Uh, will look down on people that are battling with a certain kind of 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 an addiction um because it's something that you know like oh i i would we think like i would never do that i don't even understand how you know mm -hmm. and and we'll we'll look at somebody and we'll blame you know their choices and we'll do whatever and we can come at at this conversation from a very kind of cynical or at the very least like a with a lack of compassion right yeah Meanwhile, like we might be like completely addicted to sugar or we might be completely addicted to lying or we might be completely addicted to, you know, what any one of a thousand things, video games like we might be, you know, what I'm saying like like there could be these these things. And the idea is like that 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 dopamine rush that that you mm -hmm. get that helps you deal with whatever it is whatever that internal conflict is or or conflicts that you might be dealing with on the inside and but will will stigmatize one over the other and and of course as as you pointed out you know there are some have more dire consequences up front mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. have a different barrier to entry than others and some have you know more some of them have have legal, you know, ramifications. Some of them have, yeah, you know, different yeah. things. So, so I mean, I think that's part of it. But when we boil it down to, you know, human suffering, when we boil it down to human behavior, when we boil it down to whether I'm talking about a person who's, you know, addicted to cupcakes or I'm talking about somebody who's addicted to heroin, like at the end of the day, like these are two people with a life, with a destiny, with a purpose in God. These are two people with a family. These are two people um with you know with values with hopes with dreams with all of this and we can very easily you know just try to like i think scapegoat our way out of a conversation by putting them you know putting people in different categories and right. minimizing their their humanity to an extent and so Absolutely. i think approaching all of this from that place of 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 compassion and so one you know one of the things that we wanted to talk about today or at least i <laughs> that i uh when i invited you to come on the pot come back on the podcast um i think you and i had a very brief conversation the last time we were together not on air but we had a brief conversation where we started talking about i don't even remember how we got into it fully but we started talking about 
uh, drugs. We started talking about the really the the, oh, the, I the epidemic of, of opioids. <laughs> you remember how we got into it? Remind oh, me, yeah. how did we get into yeah. it? You said, "Hey, man, saw that podcast you did about microdosing." Oh, okay. There we go. Have you the got any pushback yeah. on that? <laughs> man, Let's start there. You go. I I was real shocked by that one. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And so we started talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we jumped in. We, we sort of started the conversation there about, um, yeah, uh, microdosing and the podcast that I did with um, Justin Schoen, the founder of um, a company that uh, manufactures mm -hmm. microdosing uh, legally. And, um, and it was, yeah, it's a great podcast. I highly recommend it. I'm actually going to meet him and do another podcast in person um, next week. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, you know, from, from my part, it's like uh, trying to help people understand um, sort of the fallacy of the war on drugs and the harm that it's caused mm -hmm. um, really in ways that you don't realize, Okay. Because there's a lot of drug research that has been halted because of the war on drugs. I'm talking about like actual, you know, the scientists and the, the real deal, not just like a bunch of people in their living room. I'm, I mean, like actual research for things that could have helped, you know, your family members as they were dying from cancer. Um, you know, people that are suffering from severe depression that maybe ended up taking their own life, things like that, that didn't need to happen. But the research that could have been done into things like hallucinogenics or MDMA um, to find out, well, maybe there's some actual, you know, pharmacological uses for these chemicals, for these drugs that could actually help people that are, especially in end of life scenarios. And I have a, you know, I have a very limited, you know, um, very limited on what I'm willing to accept from a person who wants to judge another person who's going towards the end of their life. Um, mm. who, who are you to tell a person who's dying from bone cancer what mm. should be allowed or should not be allowed? How dare you? How dare you mm. say that this person, you know, shouldn't be able to possibly get the least a little bit of relief where they could finally have a moment to say goodbye to their children to their wife um if it's possible through mdma but because of our drug policies our ignorance and our fear we're gonna prevent that research well guess what we've prevented that research since 1962 and and it's iron. It's been ironclad up until just a few years ago, um, and basically the reason that we're now beginning to be allowed to do this research is because the rest of the world finally stood up and said, "America, you cannot continue to dictate to us what we can and can't do in our countries." Hmm. So there's a thing that most people don't know about, but um, there is the drug accords that in the UN. America, the United States dictates drug policy in other countries. And we have for sure. decades. So we tell other countries, if you don't abide by our drug policy, then we're going to stick you with tariffs. We're going to, we're going to do all these things to the, to you because we want our drug policy enforced. And so 
no one has been able to do research on these chemicals. And, and now you have those outliers. You have those people that went ahead and did it anyway. And they're like, we're seeing tremendous. I'm not talking about the people that do drugs. I'm talking about like actual scientists that are like, right, right. wow, the potential for these, these drugs to like radically change the end of life scenarios for these, for these patients. And, and so finally, America finally has had to, you know, finally change some of these policies because the rest of the world is like, no, we're, we're going to do it anyways. You're, we're not going to stick to your drug policy. It's a failed drug policy anyways. And so we're finally beginning to see the, the benefits of things like the, you know, psilocybin and MDMA um, in, especially in end of life scenarios with people, um, which God, if I'm ever in that scenario, please somebody help me, you know, don't make me die in pain, miserable, um, just become, because I'm a Christian, right? Um, you know, don't 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 do that to me, right? Right. right. So yeah, well, I'm, interesting. I'm in, in this. Yes, go ahead. It's interesting that we're okay with some kinds of drugs. Um, that you know, so whether we're talking about just from a, a recreational standpoint of alcohol, caffeine, you know, mm -hmm. marijuana now pretty much in a, in, a, in a lot of in a lot of states like where it's like cer certain drugs are okay but then when you start talking about for medicinal purposes i mean we're okay with all kinds of stuff we're okay with narcotics we're okay with opioids we're okay with all of these things as long as they're being you know administered under the right conditions mm -hmm. but somebody that is under those conditions that you know would otherwise be put on something like an opioid that can be a very a aggressively addictive substance for many people um, and have uh, some tremendously horrifying effects as we've seen mm -hmm. you know what i mean like how we're we're okay with that because it's like what we've done for a long time and because medically it's acceptable we're okay with ssris for depression and for anxiety and that sort of thing but there's some some stuff alternatively that we we look at and it's it's just been you know stigmatized and to right. say that well, these things are not okay it's like well okay so like i get it like i'm i'm a christian and, and and you're a christian and like i don't want i don't want people doing drugs you know what i'm saying like like and and i don't have any desire personally like i, I mean i'm gonna just be honest with you like i've never done drugs in my life uh, other than you know I, I drink coffee and stuff like that but you know what i'm saying like i've never recreationally like Done, done any kind of drugs and i really truly i don't have any desire to do you drink have but, you ever drank? oh yeah 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 i've i've had alcohol <laughs> okay and then that's, i forgot you, you, you I realize forgot about that one it's actually it's actually the most harmful of all of them is alcohol yeah, it's the one that kills the most people absolutely and it's the one that like it's the one that is one of the worst in terms of if you're addicted to it and you stop it's like one of the one of the worst. I mean, that and, can that well, yeah, it can, can kill you. It can kill you. Yeah. And also, let's let's also look at the ramifications from um, forget the alcoholism because we always swing the pendulum to the to the far left or the far right. But how about the guy who isn't an alcoholic? But can I curse on here? But he's an asshole to his wife, and so his <laughs> marriage breaks up, or he's a horrible father. 
because he's always got to stop and have a couple beers. Maybe he's not an alcoholic. He's never had a DUI, but how many marriages have been blown up because of alcohol? Right. How many lives have been blown up because of alcohol right. beyond being an alcoholic? And so, mm -hmm. but and, and, and I mean this with all due respect, but you see like what you just said is part of the problem. Like you just right. said, Hey George, I've never done any drugs. Well, that's, that's what I was getting at. That's yeah. what I was getting at. You know, we don't see, we don't see the two as, as being the same. Right. Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder on that one, but it's like, no, 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 no. hundred percent. I, so that's where I was going. And then even as I was going there, I totally forgot that like I've, I've had alcohol, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah. like, like forgetting about the fact that like that is a drug and a very, very harmful drug, uh, with many, many societal and familial and personal and health, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, ramifications that, that we've seen probably more than anything else. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about how it's like, so we're, we're okay with that, but we're, you know, we're not okay with something else. And so like, I, I can, so here's the thing, like, like I can very easily wrap my brain around, um, the medicinal purposes of certain drugs, um, whether we're talking about mushrooms or we're talking about, well, psychedelics or whatever we're talking about, marijuana. Um, you know, I know that some, mar marijuana has been very useful for people, um, in chronic pain type situations and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And way I think, and again, this is all completely anecdotal on my part because I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but, but I mean, I, I think for, a, for a lot of people way less potentially, you know, harmful than some of the alternatives as far as pain medications and mm -hmm. that sort yeah. of thing that, yeah. that are, you know, very, very addictive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's a, it's a complex conversation that obviously, you know, Anybody who listens is, you know, if they know anything, could be upset by some of the aspects that we leave out. So let's just say that we can't be exhaustive in this conversation. Sure. Lots of different paradigms, lots of different ways to look at it. Um, the drug law situation is incredibly complex. I don't mean to minimize it. I can just say that the way we've went about it is entirely wrong. Um, there is my, a new book that just came out from. Christina Dent called Curious, highly recommend it. Um, just came out last uh, last week, I believe. Um, but I've she's has a TED talk. I've met her. I'm gonna uh, be on her podcast next week. And she was a Baptist, right wing Baptist Christian girl um, mm -hmm. who real you know the the least person that you would think would start to have compassion for drugs and alcohol, but she digs into why the drug policy has to change. Highly recommend the book. Um, amazing, amazing person. And, um, yeah, can't wait to get the book into as many people's hands as possible, but she gets into yeah, Christina was just on the podcast. Well, at the time of our recording hasn't been released yet, but, but we've had, we've had that. Conversation, She's amazing. So. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So, um, so there's the whole drug policy and the drug law that you could go into. And, and for me, I try to look at it like, okay, I'm a, you know, recovery expert. Um, and I, you know, do consider myself a recovery expert. So I can say that when I talk about the drugs and alcohol, I don't take it lightly. And so I don't sit there and say, yeah, we should just open up the floodgates, sell drugs, and we'll all be better mm -hmm. off for that. But 
I do understand that when you look at things like um, like what you just touched on, um, which is pain and, and, and people that are in severe pain, you, you, to the listener, let me just explain to you, being hooked on oxycodone is not even in the same realm of being the same of weed. Okay. Marijuana. Right. Okay. So when you try to have an argument that we shouldn't let marijuana be legal for anything, uh, because you could become addicted to it, you don't know what you're talking about and you should probably stop talking and just let the expert, let the, let the experts talk because you don't get hooked on pot, marijuana, cannabis, Mary Jane, smoke. You don't not like oxycodone not like Oxycontin, not like heroin. Those are completely different realms. We are not talking the same thing. Even alcohol. Alcohol is much like you mentioned it. You can die when you're trying to come off of alcohol. Now, mm-hmm. pot, you know, the the worst that can happen, you know, you're going to eat too many Doritos and become unmotivated. I mean, it's it, you may your life might pass you by because you're just sitting there watching Netflix, but it's not the same. You're not going to go rob your grandmother. You're not going to rob someone. And so if it's possible that that can improve a person's quality of life, um, by all means, then, you know, for pain, I'm talking about a person who's going to, they're in pain and they're going to take something. They're going to either take the Oxycontin or maybe they can take marijuana. Then I highly recommend mm-hmm. they take the marijuana. And we need to have a drug policy that is in accordance with that. And so, when it comes to um, you know psychotropics, psychotropics are some of the most dangerous medications out there. I've been prescribed and been on many different psychotropic medications, and when every time you're you're you know prescribed a medication that the doctor's like, I actually don't know if this is going to work, but it might help but you have to take it for a week and a half before to two weeks before you'll start to feel anything. So Mm -hmm. stick with it. Um, Oh, by the way, if it doesn't work or you have harmful side effects, um, you're going to have to go two weeks with those side effects before they start to lessen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Compared to microdosing where it's instantaneous, there is no half-life in it. So the, the properties of microdosing, which is not like you're tripping, you're, you're taking one tenth of what would be necessary to feel anything on, on a tripping level. But doctors are prescribing that now for antidepressants because a person who could be suicidal, let's try microdosing because that could help them immediately. And if it doesn't work, we know right away. So you don't have to keep taking it. So it's, and you don't, and it's Mm. like, you, you know, you take it that one day and if it, doesn't react well with you or you don't feel anything better then don't take it tomorrow we can move on and try something else but i know mm-hmm. clinical psychologists that now they're going to microdosing before they'll go to an antidepressant because the wow. antidepressants have so many long-term side effects that and the consequences wow. of those side effects are far worse um I mean, I know people that you know you that are mm-hmm. taking microdosing instead of taking ADHD medication and Listen, I've been on ADHD medication, you know, for a large part of my life. That can also be dangerous because of the consequences of, you know, certain properties that are in ADHD mm-hmm. medication can you can become hooked on. 
but once again, we have something like microdosing psilocybin that you don't become, there's no addictive properties to none, none, zero doesn't work on dopamine. It works off of serotonin. So it's a different, it's a whole different mechanism within the brain. And mm -hmm. it has healing properties that have been shown to heal the neural pathways within the brain where nothing else does that. And so we have to look at drug policy around medications that could be helpful to people that are actually suffering. That's like, that's more my realm of discussion compared to there's a whole nother topic where <laughs> should drugs be just allowed for people recreationally. And, right. and I, that's right. not necessarily my expertise. So, um, yeah, I do know I have, I have feelings on that. Um, but I don't think we should get into that right at this moment. <laughs> Are you pretty libertarian in your yeah in your yeah. thinking on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've, I've, you, you, I've thought about this a lot, and 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 I don't, um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm I'm fully established in my thinking yet, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you, and why I wanted to have that conversation with Christina Dent, and you know, why I've just been personally doing more research into this and. And that whole sort of thing, because, you know, I don't like I don't like it when when I or or anybody is just operating according to preconceived right, information, right. preconceived mm -hmm. notions that we have because it's what we've always been been taught, you know, and to, to look at something as complicated and complex as the 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 drug problem, you know, the opioid epidemic, the problem with fentanyl in our country today, just the whole thing, the, the, the fact that, that our, the drug sales throughout this country are propping up drug cartels in, yeah. in Mexico, Latin America, organized crime in China, just like every, all, all the, all the stuff, all the stuff that's, that's part of it. It's so, it's so complex. So I just feel like this conversation needs to be approached at least with humility mm -hmm. and at least with compassion to say, look, if we pull back, it's obvious that what we're doing is not working. <laughs> like yeah. the, 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 the war on drugs, it has, I mean, from the time the war on drugs started to now, I mean, things are a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's just the way that we've been doing things doesn't work. And so I just don't like any, you know, the, the line of thinking that, that says like to draw that line in the sand where it's just a black and white issue. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's not a black no, and white not, issue. And I think we need to at least agree on the fact that like, it's very complicated. And I think we can all agree on the fact that the way that we're doing things hasn't worked well for most, for a lot of people. And so to keep pretending that it works is not good for any of us. It's not good for society. It's not good for communities. It's not good for families. It's not good for anybody. And it is easy for, you know, people in a position like me who, you know, like I've again, like uh, I've well, let me say this. I've never done any illegal drugs and I don't ever plan to. Right. So it'd be easy for me to distance myself from from this conversation and to make it, uh, you know, to draw that line in the sand and say, well, this is what it is. Drugs are bad. You shouldn't do them. Should, should it should be illegal. We should, you know what I'm saying? It, like it's easy for me to separate myself from it 
at this point, at this stage in my life, um, just because it's, you know what I'm saying? Like if I approach it from that, from that standpoint of like, I'm not really having compassion for the people whose lives are actually being devastated and affected by the current state of affairs and just pretending that the way that we're dealing with it is actually, is actually good. And it's actually the right way. Like at least I think we need to rethink some of this stuff. And so I think what I was going, the direction I was going in before with the whole thing of like, I can wrap my brain around, you know, this whole thing about certain substances that we, that would right now be considered off limits or impossible, or at least very difficult for somebody to, to get, that -hmm. would be a better avenue for them because of the health problem that they're dealing with. Like, okay. But I don't see how (laughs) the, 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 the broader conversation is, you know, the, the, you know, legalization of, of everything on a grand scale. And, and that's where I think that this conversation, um, does get, get very, very tricky and, and does get very, very, you know, sticky for, for a lot of people. Well, where it doesn't get sticky and where we, we have to acknowledge, okay. All right. So it all comes down to money, right? That's what it all comes down to. It comes down to, and all you have to do is do a quick search to figure out how much money is spent on the war on drugs and where that money goes. All right. And so listen, what happened in Portland proposition Mm -hmm. 110. Okay. Mm -hmm. Been a failure, but before we jumped to it being a failure and why legalization wouldn't work, you got to look at why it was a failure. You have to look at the actual reason why Portland is the way it is right now. I mean, I'm going to tell you why. It's because mm-hmm. for legalization to work, okay, that means you take, let's just say you have, they have there's this pie of money, right? And 6% of that pie is spent on recovery and transformation for yeah. the individuals in addiction, 6%, something like that. Yeah. 93 to 94% is spent on police, jail, the whole deal. So mm. prohibition is, is the whole bulk of the pie. What they did in Portland was, let's just make it legal, but they didn't change the pie. So Mm -hmm. what was supposed to happen in order for it to work like it's worked in Portugal, like it's worked in Switzerland and in other countries now where we've seen a change in drug laws, but we've seen addiction go down is because Mm -hmm. the money that was spent on law enforcement, on jails, on all of that was split and then put towards recovery programs, job training, housing intentional community, things like that. So as somebody in long-term recovery from heroin, you have to give me a reason to stay sober in order for me to stay Mm -hmm. sober. So you got to give me, I have to have a chance at life and, and living a life in order for me to go ahead and go through the hard work of recovery. And so right now in this country, if you're in a recovery program for a year, you have to figure out how to lie about where you've been for a year because when you go to get a job, you got a gap in your employment. Well, 
in Portugal and in Switzerland, places like that, they give tax credits for people that hire people that are in recovery. So you would be actually, you're motivating me now to go to a drug program because I might be able to get a job after because I completed the drug program. Mm -hmm. Because now the business is getting $5,000 for hiring anybody that's graduated from a drug program. Imagine that. So Portland didn't do any of that. They were supposed, they didn't give any new housing. They didn't give any new, like if they did, it was very limited. There's a lot of videos on it. There's a lot of people that are there on the boots on the ground talking about it that are experts. None of that was happened. None of that happened. It was like they were intentionally set up to fail. I'm not going to get into conspiracies, but I'm really, really beginning to believe that it was like a whole ploy from the start. Like we'll shut all these people up over here. Let right. Portland do this. Let them fail miserably. Right. They didn't give them any of the things necessary to succeed. So now the rest of the, like the, the pro, like, because there's so much money to be made in privatized prisons in all of these things. I mean, though, nobody wants to give that up. Nobody's willing. So it's right. like, you got, the, you got the addict in the middle of all this. who's just trying to stay mm -hmm. alive. You got the man drug manufacturers, you got the drug cartels, you got everybody is at play, but so are the people that profit from the war on drugs. Just like right now, you know, you can watch the news and people are like, yeah, the, the military institute, they want to elect an official that's going to keep the wars going on. I mean, that's all over the news, right? It's the same way in our own country. People that want the war on drugs to keep going are the ones that profit from it. And so they'll set up a Portland so it looks like it's a failure. And it is a failure. I'm not denying it's a failed. It's a failed experiment. But it failed because nobody gave them what they needed in order to succeed. And it, yeah. it, listen, it, it, it's going to take a societal change in order for a difference to be made. But I can just tell you that the one you make it possible for individuals to to get a job because they went to a drug program instead of having to lie about where they've been for a year when they're in a drug program, you'll see people actually complete those drug programs. I mean, yeah. there's just so many things that we can yeah. do that would be necessary. So it's not just about making, you know, everybody jumps to like, Oh, you want crystal meth to be legal at the drugstore? That is such a whack argument. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying that, like, if we if we somehow change the way the structure around things and mm -hmm. how it's done, we could begin to make a change. Even the listen, what we yeah. see, what we're seeing right now in the country with everything with fentanyl, and so yeah, it keeps getting worse. So everybody keeps saying we need stronger drug policies. But what nobody realizes no. is the reason no. fentanyl is strong, right? Like happening right now is because of the drug policy. Because of prohibition. Yeah. 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 It's the iron law of prohibition. It's like the stronger you make a drug law, then the people need to increase the strength of the actual drug. So it's like these yeah. two competing forces. So if you tell me I get caught with a pound of, of weed, I go to, you know, jail for, you know, a hundred years, well then I need to make the weed so strong that I only need a half a pound. It's, that's how this all works. And so now mm -hmm. we have this fentanyl that is unfreaking off the charts, people dying left and right. And it's because the drug laws are so strong on, if you get caught with fentanyl, that's yeah. the crazy part of this. It's our laws are actually encouraging more dysregulation from the cartels 
stronger drugs on the street rather than prohibiting. When you talk, when you have a, a lower class of people, like a, a class of people, not lower in, you know, as human beings, but oh, like sure. yeah. value, they don't have money. They don't have, you know, education. They don't have any, they got nothing. It doesn't matter what you threaten them with. They have nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not, mm -hmm. you're, 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 you got the straw man argument, right? Where, yeah, I'm just going to make a tougher policy, but to a kid in the hood and I live in the hood, they got nothing. They got no education. I mean, it's right. a, we were just joking the other day. A few of us say like, there's kids that like, it's a, their dream job would be to work at Foot Locker because they don't plan to live past 25 wow. and they get free wow. shoes. And that's not being like funny or sarcastic. Wow. That's like real because you don't have anybody that can actually even imagine a life that's worth living. And so, yeah, yeah. make your drug laws as strong as you want. Put more police on the on the on the on the mm -hmm. on the streets. It's not going to change what's happening because you have people that don't have any reason to change. They don't have any reason to do anything different. You're threatening them with a life they don't want to live, anyways. And that's the sad part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the argument against against what you're saying, I think, or one of the arguments, one of the traditional arguments would be, well, the reason why we need to come down, we need to come down harder on criminalizing drug possession and all this kind of stuff is, you know, because we don't want people, right? So we don't want people using these drugs. So many people are dying. So we need to come down, we need to come down harder. We need to make sure that, that people understand that this is this is le this is illegal this is bad for you this is not okay so we're going to we're going to come down harder on this we're going to make it more legal well you're creating the problem you're you're propping up the organized crime you're uh you're creating a situation where people are becoming more and more desperate you're creating a situation or you're at least you're perpetuating a situation where people are making these drugs more and more potent more and more dangerous because of exactly what you just outlined and so to I, I just think like the argument for because this is this is this is where it comes into play. Like, you know, if we're talking about, you know, Narcan, if we're talking about the the test strips for for fentanyl, mm -hmm. uh, if we're talking about like different things like that. Right. Where it's yeah. like if we're allowing people to have these, then are we incentivizing them to to do more drugs? If we're allowing people to have this stuff, are we putting our stamp of approval and saying that, you know, maybe this isn't as bad. Like, are we creating that perception in the minds of people that maybe this isn't as bad as we were told before? And so I think that that's the argument that a lot of people have. Yeah, but at is. the same time, it's like that argument falls apart when it's like, like, yeah, but this is the situation. Like, this is where we are. Like, look around. Like, this mm -hmm. is where we are. I mean, you just you just outlined how people in desperate situations it doesn't matter how harsh the penalties are. If they want to do it, they're going to do it. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so will there be more people that do drugs or that get into drugs or try drugs for the first time that maybe, you know, wouldn't have done it otherwise if it was more accessible, if it was legal or at least decriminalized and if they could get their hands on something that they, you know, were pretty certain wasn't going to be laced with something dangerous that was going to possibly kill him. The answer to that is probably yes. So that's like the, the, I think the, the, the scary part of the discussion for a lot of people, 
but at the same time to ignore the current you know state of affairs that we're in and again i i think i've said this too many times already but to just kind of keep doing the things that we've been doing mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense yeah and i would even actually push back on what you said because i don't nobody listen we're, we're trying to make a rational discussion over an irrational situation and so mm -hmm. nobody True. wants to be a heroin addict nobody wants to choose to do heroin and so mm -hmm. would people i don't i don't think that you know by need, having needle exchange by having narcan available i mean i don't most of the people i know they don't they can't stand narcan because it takes away the high so nobody you know is like Oh, great. We have Narcan. Now let's go get high. It's like, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. Nobody likes to be, you know, the lowest uh, form of life that I have to go get a free needle. I can't even afford a needle. Mm. So it's like, I don't, I don't think, you know, if it's, it's very minimal, if you think that more people are going to try, I think what you'll find is more people will stay alive and then you'll see more mm -hmm. people. If you put the corresponding reason to stay sober in place you know without that you can't right you have to have okay listen we're we're instituting you know job training we're instituting more jobs for people that right. have been through drug recovery programs we're instituting housing for those of you that are sober you you have to you have to give the incentive with it it's just like mm -hmm. i hear a lot of people complain about needle exchange because a lot of time then there's needles all over the street in that area of town. Well, it's like, right. yeah, it's because they give such a little budget for that. Like mm. you got to give enough money to put a cleanup crew. You can't just give like, okay, here's enough for some new needles. And, and those drug addicts should, you know, throw them away. Oh, you gotta, it's, it's, this is what I'm, this is my whole point. It's like, you've got to give, when you give the money, you have to give enough in order for the program that you're instituting to be carried out successfully, right. not just right. part of it. And so you have, you know, these bare bones organizations out there trying to do the best they can with what they can, but the real, you know, opportunity is only going to come if we fully fund a, a society where people have a reason to get off of drugs, hardcore drugs, have a reason to turn their life around um, and the potential, you know, the, the resources to make it potentially possible. But we don't have that right now. We don't. <clears throat> I like can tell you, you outlined. Right, let me just say this. It's like yeah, good. part of what was, uh, you know, incredible about the organization I founded, the Timothy Initiative, was that it was free. There's literally a handful of free drug programs in the country. And so hmm. that's insane. OK, there's yeah. a lot of money to be made off of insurance. So you see these 40, 50,000 dollar a month drug rehabs that I have zero tolerance for. I think it's unnecessary and it's ridiculous and they're making the situation worse. However, they're out there. And so, yeah, you can go to them if you got good insurance. But most addicts, the ones that are like in the hardcore situations like we're talking about, people that are going to a needle exchange, people that are going to get Narcan. They don't have any of that. And so there's not in a plethora of drug programs that are worth anything out there for people to go to, period. And so mm -hmm. this is what I'm talking about. It's like when you look at the success in, in Portugal or Switzerland, they instituted a full sweep of 
this is what we're going to do. And yeah. we, we need that type, but that's only going to come if somebody coughs up their, their, you know, their slice of the financial pie and they're not going to do that. You know, that's where like you get this whole argument, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're saying defund the police. You say that was all started. So now nobody wants to take anything away from the police departments. But it's like it's all this is all part of the pie, man. And I'm not yeah. saying I'm for defunding the police, not saying that at all. Don't hear that. But I'm saying the moment you're like, we need to take some of this money to help people in the drug, you know, that's right. happening in the fentanyl crisis. It's happening. People want to cry. That's what you're saying. Well, where is the money going, right? Um, in in in, if we more police, more jails, all that. When you look at the man, don't even get me started. When you look at the cost of how much it, you know, each we pay to have each incarcerated incarcerated person in jail, it's insane, brother. Yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, yeah. if you knew what your tax dollars were going to for that, you'd be like, well, how about we rehabilitate these people and don't you know, so we yeah. don't have to pay a quarter million dollars per inmate or some crazy mm -hmm. amount like that per year. It's insane. Yeah. And it's, you know, all these privatized prisons and, and it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's thick. It goes deep, but yeah. we have to make and, and the cash cow of that, you know, like the, of, of how many of the largest corporations in our country are profiting off of more and more people being put into prison because yep. then they get this uh you know extremely cheap labor and they get yep. you know whether it's uh tax incentives or kickbacks or whatever it is and people in very prominent positions in mm -hmm. government in in uh, corporations whatever that really profit off of the system being set up the way that it is Absolutely. and so you definitely have people lobbying for you know, the strong policies against the criminal or for the criminalization of of drug, you know, people that are uh, possessing drugs right. and that sort of thing. And so, like, you have all of that. You have the, the greed factor based, you know, at the at the foundation of it, mm -hmm. which, as you said, it's all money. It's all yeah, it all money. comes down to, to money and it's driving the whole thing. It's driving it on on all all the sides, all of the sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like what you outlined with the situation in Portland, it's like to just say, okay, we're not going to arrest you guys for doing your drugs anymore. Like mm -hmm. that's not, gonna, <laughs> that's not going to fix anything. It's like, like, how is that going to fix anything? It's not going to fix anything because first of all, the, the drugs, the, the drugs are still not being regulated. So it's not no. going to help less, fewer people overdose. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not going to clean any of that up it's going to it's just you know if if anything it's not going to get better it's just that people are not going to be arrested for it and then yeah if you're not reallocating funds to actually deal with like the underlying problems so that people can get well people can get healed people can you know get into recovery programs and and housing i mean i think one of the biggest one of the biggest problems that you've talked about a couple times already is the fact of like how impossible it is made for people that have you know been a, a a drug offender in the past to be able to get a job yeah yeah you know to be able to like live a normal semblance of life to have an income to to have an income that comes from a, a positive source and we just make it so hard the barrier for entry is so high for people that actually you know 
want to create improvement in their lives. And I mean, that's a, it's a massive problem. Like the more you look at this mm -hmm. and how just every aspect of, of, uh, you know, just like the barriers that are that are placed on people that are truly, truly struggling. It's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah and that's where, you know, it comes down to. Um, you just got to pick your battle and you got to you know, there's got to be advocates on, you know, on all the different parts of this that, you know, that's why I like, you know, Chris, you know, having somebody like Christina in my life and there's I have other people that are, you know, in this as well. It's like I can trust that she's fighting this battle over here. I can fight this battle over there because it's, it's going to take everybody working together to try to make a sweeping change in this country when it comes to, to what we see. And, mm -hmm. you know, not to mention, you know, a big part of my trying to bring awareness to the world is why did people start using in the first place? And, and that's that trauma that happens to people. Well, guess what? Mm. All these people that are stuck in addiction are having kids. And so, those kids are now being traumatized. And so we're, we're creating future generations of, of people that are going to be right where we are right now. And so it's one thing to look at all of what's happening currently, but how do we, you know, sort of wean off all of this new people that are going to enter the addiction realm in the future. And so it, it takes, you know, education on all avenues in order to make a difference in this. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. The, I, I think, you know, what people like you guys are doing in the educational side of things and just wanting people to have the correct information because, yeah, I mean, you can't, obviously you can't make <laughs> informed uh, decisions. And when I say decisions, I just mean decisions about yeah. the way that you think about something, you know, informed, yeah. you know, judgment calls. If you, if you have incorrect information, you know, mm -hmm. And so I actually, um, I actually got to go do a drug test on a kid right now. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, I got time for maybe one more quick question, but, uh, yeah, my, my friend just brought me the drug test is sitting on the counter. So it's like, I just thought it was funny <laughs> that we're sitting here talking about it and I have a client I have to go drug test currently. So how's that for timing, man? Well, well, bro, I will, um, I'll let uh, you go, man, but I, but I appreciate your time and just, uh, you know, uh, the, the conversation and, and, you know, appreciate your friendship, the work that you guys do, uh, the, you know, the, the uncovery well the first yeah. uncovery and then the uncovery devotional, um, and, uh, just all the stuff that you guys do to bring awareness to these issues and to help people walk in and experience, you know, freedom in their lives. And I mean, this freedom that Jesus died to secure for us, it's, it's he just wants it so bad for us, man. Like he wants us yeah. to be free. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be healed. And, um, you know, I will say one of the things that I, that I, I remember that stuck with me from listening to your conversation, uh, with, um, the, the gentleman on, when you did the episode on the, the mushrooms, mm -hmm. <laughs> the psilocybin, um, one of the things that stuck out to me was how, you know, he was saying in that episode, we're not taught. We're not. We're not trying to get people to to trip out on mushrooms. We're talking about something that you can use as as a as a tool. And I believe he said something to the effect of, "We're we don't want this to be a, somebody's solution or somebody's answer, but just a tool." You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so I think when we, I I do think that things can get out of hand very very quickly when we when we start looking at at any one thing 
you know, we look at any one thing, particularly some something that's a, a substance or something like that. But we look at any one thing as like, like, this is my solution. This is my answer. Right. Um, we might get into a, a dangerous place on that. But when I'm looking at something as hold on, like if if this is a tool that can help me to experience more freedom in my life, that can help me to get to a better place of recovery, to get to a better mental state, to get to a better you know, place in my, in my thing, if it helped me deal with my depression, if it could help yeah. me deal with my anxiety, help me deal with the pain that I'm experiencing in my life. As you said earlier, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for us to like belittle somebody's pain or trauma or what they've gone through to, to, to put, you know, all kinds of restrictions on somebody yeah. to say, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just think that, you know, coming at this, learning to think differently about these things, um, on the educational side is just really, really important. So thanks, man. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I just thank you for being willing to take a risk and put this stuff out there, man. So thank you. Yeah. We'll see what happens, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Let's we'll see how out. it goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, bless you, brother. Thanks again. And All thanks right, everybody bro. for listening. See you guys next time. Yep. Peace.